This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Lucille Ball is waiting in the wings. Uh, she'll star in My Favorite Husband at the Half Hour. More about Lucy later. Right now, we're due for a visit with Sam Spade, and the episode is called The Sugar Cane Caper. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. They offered me a cool million and a half, but I couldn't be bought. Oh, Sam, all the time fooling. Straight good, Sammy. Oh, really, Sam? Why didn't you take it? Oh, but you couldn't, of course. That's right, Angel. Taxes. Oh, you mean it would put you in a bracket? Uh, the girl's name, in case you were going to ask, was Sugar Cane. Was she sweet? Oh, Effie, you made a joke. Oh, not much of one, though. That is true. But even though you do seem to be, as you would say, in a jugular vein... I shall be right down, serious and frowning, to dictate a chronicle steeped in the bitter tea of general confusion, brewed in a witch's cauldron of murder, greed, and avarice. That's what gives it that nutty flavor. What, Sam? Silly girl, I refer to the sugar cane caper on which I will forthwith my report be down to dictate on, uh, uh it, uh, uh, with, uh, goodbye. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Hello, Sam. How are you, Sam? Hmm? You were so lugubrious over the phone. Sometimes you're so bucolic, but tonight... What am I? When? Lugubrious tonight. Just, just, just bowling over. Do you uh, possibly mean I'm being lush with my verbiage? There, you see? Well, that's because I've been at work in the environs of Snob Hill, where they never use one word if 12 will do. <laughs> Are you uh, ready for the uh, dictation? I guess it is. I plan to be most amusing tonight. Already <laughs> I am yet. <laughs> Look, I haven't even started. Oh. Really, I haven't. All right. <laughs> now, pencil. Date. <laughs> Alan should have such an audience. Date. 
October 3rd, 1948, to Clifton Cavanaugh, Esquire. <laughs> Down, Effie. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the sugar cane caper. On Thursday last, at 11 a.m., as I waited for the traffic signal so that I might legally cross Powell Street in order to board a cable car, a cat rubbed up against my leg. I leaned over to stroke it and noticed that it had six toes. I wondered if that meant anything. It didn't. Most Knob Hill addresses don't mean much anymore, but yours still does. The house was big, hideous, and reassuring. Oh. Are you from Peppersnow? Uh, no, I'm in business for myself. Mr. Cavanaugh in? Oh. Well, come on in. I can't understand what happened to that boy from Peppersnow. Oh, uh, pardon me if I seem a little hungover. Gladly, but can you ever forgive yourself? <laughs> I like you. You got a sense of humor. You'll need it. You were uh, trying to tell me you don't approve of Mr. Cavanaugh? That perfume pothead. What did he do to you? He married my mother. Oh. Stepfather? Yeah. I'm Fred Blair. Spade's my name. Where do I find him? Detective? Check. I'll give you a clue. Look behind you. I did. I turned and found myself looking straight into your handsome face. You looked several years younger than your stepson with regular aquiline features, dark, widely spaced eyes, and blue-black hair. Well, so you're the notorious Sam Spade. Well, I don't want to seem modest. Come into the conservatory. There's just the barest chance that we'll not be overheard. Good. There. Sit down. Uh, what's your problem, Mr. Cavanaugh? Problem indeed. Problems, plural. Starting with that junior grade lush that collared you at the door. He's very fond of you, too. Well, you can't imagine what a trial that boy's been to me. Both the children. For some reason, neither Fred nor his sister Eunice ever quite accepted me as their father. You don't say? I suppose my youth counted against me. I think they misinterpreted my motives. When any man marries a wealthy widow twice his age... Yeah. yeah why did you send for me, Mr. Cavanaugh? Well, it all started several months back, before my wife, uh, their mother, uh, uh, where was I? Oh, died. The scandal quite literally killed her. You're sure that's what did the trick? Fred, uh, who, among other talents, was a positive genius for knowing the wrong sort of people, struck up an acquaintance with a hoodlum named Johnny Verona. Nice, clean-cut gangster type, runs a joint on Pacific Street. Precisely. With a positively hysterical name of the Subtropical. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a sordid brawl of some sort. A man shot. Obviously, this Johnny Verona shot him. Fred had to give testimony before the grand jury. It was all we could do to keep it out of the paper. But you did. No. And old Eleanor, my wife, that is, uh, dropped dead when the butler brought in the chronicle. But the worst was yet to come, Sam. Well, uh, don't keep me hanging, Cliff. Uh, well, Fred continued to frequent this bistro, this dive of Verona's. I understand I believe the bait is a toothsome little teaser with the unlikely name of Sugar Cane. She likes Fred. No woman in her right mind would look twice at that idiot, even if he were twice as rich and only half a sodden. Then, uh, where was I? Oh, yes, this, this, uh, uh, this Verona person came here several times on the pretext of pouring Fred through the front door and thereby bet, met my, my, my stepdaughter, Eunice. Well, uh, that's uh, a very interesting story, Mr. Cavanaugh. Now, uh... Maybe you'll tell me what you want a detective for. Because my stepdaughter has brazenly informed me that she intends to marry this gangster. 
I want you to help me prevent that marriage. I uh, don't see. Don't see what? I don't see how I can. Perhaps I didn't make myself clear. When Verona was arrested for that shooting in his club, Fred didn't tell the grand jury all he knew. Now, if you could prove that Verona is guilty, then we'd be rid of him for good. Is it Verona you want to get rid of or your stepson? Good Lord, you don't, you don't think Fred did it, do you? Why, no, of course not. Okay, supposing Verona did it, then Fred goes up on a perjury rap, maybe accessory. Oh. Well, I have no overwhelming desire to injure Fred. Uh, look, why don't you tell me what you have an overwhelming desire for? Well, under the terms of her mother's will, Eunice will inherit $3 million as soon as she marries. When? Uh, when what? When do I meet her? Be serious, man. Now, I will pay Verona $50,000 in cash if he'll stay away from her. Would you take fifty grand as the payoff in a $3 million caper? In this instance, yes. Eunice is not very well. And you may quote me on that. Book, chapter, and verse. To Johnny Verona? Uh, to Johnny Verona. Okay. Water's mighty cold this time of the year at the bottom of the bay, but if you don't care, I don't. Thank you. Let me know how it comes out. Don't give it a second thought. You'll know. Uh, don't get up, Mr. Cavanaugh. I know the way out. Hey, Spade, wait up. Well, you look a little better. Listen, there's something you ought to know. He was my sister's boyfriend before he married my mother. He did it out of revenge because Eunice threw him over. He still wants to marry her. Any particular reason? Oh, my mother put that crazy marriage clause in her will. He's been systematically getting rid of every man who's been interested in her. Bought him off, threatened him off any way he could. Why? He thinks Eunice will eventually marry him to get her inheritance. But she won't. She'll kill him first, and if she doesn't, I'll do it for her. Fred. Huh? Oh, yeah? Fred, what on earth are you saying? Who is this man? Oh, he's the detective. Sam Spade. You're Eunice Blair? Yes, I want to talk to you. Fred, go, go and... Yeah, I'll see you later, Spade. I know why my stepfather hired you, Mr. Spade. If you need the money, go ahead. But this time, it won't work. You look as if you'd like to be a nice girl. How did you happen to settle for a cheap grifter like Johnny Verona? Because we understand each other, and he can't be scared off. Any message I can take him from you? Tell Johnny I'll meet him at the usual place. And tell him I still like my coffee black. No sugar. I didn't ask her what kind of sugar she didn't want any of. I thought I knew. The only thing wrong with uh, Sugar Cane's dance was her dancing, but the customers didn't seem to mind, and I didn't either. It was a pleasure to size her up carefully, as I would have felt obliged to do anyway in my professional capacity. She was a black-haired number with aquiline features and widely spaced dark eyes. It was a beautiful combination. And I wondered where I'd seen it before quite recently. I decided to find out. Hey, what's the idea of barging in here after me? Can't you see the sign on the door? No customers in the dressing room. Then let's go someplace else. I want to talk to you. Read it. Take it easy. This is on business. Good. I'll fix it up with the boss. Johnny! Yeah, sugar. Uh, what's the matter? Is Joe giving you trouble? He came in here after me to cheat, Masher. On the pretext of discussing business affairs. Okay, out you go. Hey, wait a minute. Come on, move. And don't uh, come back. Well? Uh, sorry, I had to give that bum's rush routine. I don't want to get her excited. 
She's a nice kid, and she doesn't know why you're here. I take it you do. Yeah. Eunice called me and told me you'd be down. Okay, Johnny, I'll give it to you fast and get out. Clifton Cavanaugh will pay you 50 grand to leave Eunice alone. He also made a few idle or not-so-idle threats about what might happen to her if you don't take his money. Uh, for example? He said she hasn't been feeling well, might not live long enough to get married. I don't have to tell you what I think about that kind of talk, and I wouldn't be peddling it if my office rent wasn't due. That's why when you started giving me that bum's rush, I made only, shall we say, a token resistance? Yeah. About me marrying Eunice... You can tell Clifton to stop worrying. Hmm? Yeah, Eunice and I got married three weeks ago. You what? Married. Now, you want to see the papers? Why the secrecy? I don't want her to get hurt. You're scared of Clifton? Nah. Sugar. She's got a very low boiling point. She's a... Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, Nick. What is? Go ahead. Yeah, I heard you. No, no, don't touch anything. Don't let anybody in. I'll be right over. Bad news? Yeah, Eunice. She's dead. How? Uh, one of my boys found her in my apartment. She was supposed to wait for me there. How did it happen? He's not sure. He thinks she took poison. I had to give Johnny Verona one thing. He didn't make any pretense about being grief-stricken. But after all, he just inherited three million bucks... Sugar Cane took it standing up, too, but she just lost the rival and got her man back three million bucks richer. I wasn't with you when you got the news, Mr. Cavanaugh. But the one I really wondered about was Eunice's brother, Fred. What brought that on was something I picked up in Johnny Verona's apartment where we found Eunice's body sprawled out over a tray of coffee things. It was a medicine bottle with a doctor's prescription number on the label. The name of the druggist that had put it up was Fetterschnell. I remembered what Fred had said to me when he admitted me to your house that afternoon. Quote, are you the man from Pfefferschnell's? I wondered if I'd answered yes, would Eunice still be alive? The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the Sugar Cane Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. The morning papers didn't carry anything new on Eunice's death. Cause was put down to an overdose of a toxic drug. The doctor who prescribed it said she'd requested it for migraine headaches, which he suggested might have driven her to suicide. He did not explain why she had taken four doses in capsule form and dissolved the rest of it in a decanter of coffee. I thought somebody else had dosed the coffee, and so did you, Mr. Cavanaugh. Verona did it, of course. He knew she was taking those pills and dosed the coffee just enough to be fatal when added to what she took voluntarily. You knew all that, too. Well, so did Fred. But you had more reasons, three million more. But they were already married. You know that when you hired me? Yes. Then how come? I knew she was planning to do away with herself. I thought if we could pin it on Verona, after all, he's guilty of that old murder. Fred's a witness to that. Well, if he were convicted, the money would revert to me. Nuts. You don't believe me? She wasn't planning suicide, and you know it. 
Well, then? I don't care who takes the fall, but I got less on Verona than I got on you. Then I'll give you something. Here. Take a look. Verona's lawyer sent this around before her body was cold. A claim for three million dollars notarized yesterday while Eunice was still alive. Well, Mr. Spade. Pardon me while I drop dead. You did and waited hopefully, but I managed to stay on my feet. I even managed to make it down the hall to the bar where I found your stepson ambushed behind a row of empty bottles. Fine detective you turn out to be. I warned you. Stand up like a man. That's all right. I'll take on both of you. Come on, sober up. Makes sense. Where's my drink? Who took my glass? Here it is. Give me a Sure. You spill it. Nice. Oh, my shirt. Listen to me. This is very important. Important? You were expecting a delivery from a drugstore when I arrived there yesterday morning. Who ordered it? She did. Eunice, she told me to watch for it and bring it to her. Did you do that? No. No, she wasn't here. What did you do with that bottle of medicine? I'm sleepy. I gotta get some rest. Wake up! I said, wake up! Leave me alone! Now, listen. You took that bottle with you when you went out. Where did you take it? I tell you when you let me go to sleep. You took that bottle with you, didn't you? You're guessing. I know you're third degree. You went to Verona's apartment, didn't you? Two gentlemen of Verona. Willie Shakespeare. You doped that coffee, didn't you, with a poison that killed your sister? I didn't mean it for her. I, I didn't know she was going there. Go on talking. <laughs> I want a lawyer. I, I know my rights. Listen, I'm not a cop. I'm not taking a statement. You're too drunk for it to hold anyway, so you can tell me. Uh, okay. Here's how it happened. She, she took her four pills and went to bed. Yeah? I, I, I sneaked a bottle out of the medicine chest and I went over to his place. His boy Nick was there making coffee for the boss, he said, when he got home. I hung around talking for a while and I, I, I stripped some of the stuff in the percolator while he was getting out of the cups. And, and that's all. Why did you want to kill Johnny Verona? So Eunice wouldn't have to marry him. What do you mean, have to? Well, she was doing it for me, so he'd keep quiet. About that brawl in the club, that old killing they tried to nail Johnny for? Yeah, yeah that's it. That, the gun that did it. He, he got rid of it before the cops arrived. That was my gun. Brad, straighten up. Look. Yeah. Johnny dictated the story you told the grand jury. How do I know he didn't dictate the one you're telling me now? Who are you covering for? I, I didn't say anything. I didn't tell you anything. Get out of here! What's the matter with you? I get... Get out of the window! <laughs> Revolver barrel that crashed through the darkened window pane behind the bar spoke twice. I answered it. I looked out into the darkness, making myself a good enough target to draw some fire. I fired back at the flashes. I was depending more on luck than aim, and luck was what I wasn't having much of. I went back to the place where Fred had fallen. The shots that had dropped him were luckier. He'd been dead before he hit the floor. What is it? What's happened here? See for yourself. Who? Shot through the window, couldn't see anything but the gun muzzle. Looked like a 45. Johnny Verona, he packed a 45. Who told you that? It came out of that investigation. One of the reasons they couldn't indict for that old shooting. There were a lot of reasons they couldn't get that indictment. What are you driving at? Neither one of the leading suspects was guilty. I don't follow you. Sugar Kane did that job. Well, that's wild. What if I told you Fred made a statement of that effect before he was shot? You're lying. He confessed. Did I tell you that? Well, he must have. He, he always talked about it when he was drunk. 
All right. All right, I was bluffing. Why? Just a crazy hunch. I thought there might be something between you and Sugar. Now I'm sure there isn't. Of course not. Should have spotted it before. You're too much the same type. Even look alike. I can't make you out. Well, don't try. It's not worth it. Uh, you better call homicide about Fred here. Tell Lieutenant Dundee if he wants my statement, I'll be at my apartment. After I pretended to leave, I came back and did a little eavesdropping of my own. You didn't phone homicide, but you did spend an hour filing out the barrel of a forty-five automatic. Then you went up. I tailed you to an address on Slope Boulevard. A short time after you went in, Sugar Cane came out alone. I followed her to, you know the answer, my apartment. I went in the back way via the fire escape and arrived in time to answer her buzz. Oh, Mr. Spade, thank heaven I found you at home. So am I. Come in. I know it's terribly late Forget it. Why don't you take off your uh, coat or something? Can't stay very long. It's not safe. I may have been followed here. Oh, surely not. Sam, you don't mind if I call you Sam? No. I'm so frightened. It's about Johnny Verona. I don't know what he may do. He's convinced that Fred killed Eunice and he's out gunning for him right now. We've got to stop him before he does anything rash. You come to the wrong party, sugar. I'm working for the enemy. Enemy? Kavanaugh. It's no skin off his nose if Johnny Verona drops Fred Blair or if you all drop. All he does is sit back and collect. You can't be as cynical as that. You ought to know. Has he told you anything about me? I'd rather hear it from you. Maybe sit down. Well, there's not much to tell. I played along with Johnny for one reason and one reason alone. To save Fred from that old murder rap. Were you uh, figuring on marrying into that family, too? Oh, sir. A regular pincers movement, wasn't it? Johnny and Eunice, you and Fred. All right. It's true I wasn't in love with Fred. But it wasn't all the money. I was sorry for him. Money's not what I really want. I know that now. What do you want? Someone. Someone I can trust. Me too, sugar. Oh, Sam, you're what I want. Say you want me to. Please say it. Don't answer it, Sam. Why not? Johnny may have followed me here. He's insanely jealous. Well, I gotta face it out with him sooner or later. Might as well be now. Sam, be careful. Stand out of the way, sugar. No, Sam. No, no, please. Don't reach, Johnny. I'm not gunning for you, Spade. In that case, come on in. Well, sugar. I didn't believe him that you were coming here. I had to, Johnny. He got some crazy confession out of Fred while he was drunk. I had to stall him until you and Cliff could talk to him. To save Fred, I mean. Oh, stop horsing around. We all know that we all know Fred is dead, and we all know that we all know who killed him. Well, uh, then Cliff was leveling. You are trying to pin that on me. I don't need it, but if you want it, you can have it. There's three million bucks in my part of it. I'll split down with the middle with you. If you throw in with them, it's a three-way split. There's no split at all if you take the rap for Eunice's killing, and you will if you throw in with me. It's their word against mine. Two witnesses against one, and all I've got is a confession by a drunk who is now dead. Sam. Oh, Sam, I was sure for a moment you... Get away from me. Sam, <laughs> Go on. Go to work on him. I should have given you a little more time. That wasn't fair, was it, Sugar? I hate you. I hate you both. I never want to see you again. Get back in that room, Sugar. Cliff. What happened, Sugar? Why were you running away? Johnny double-crossed us. Now Sam knows everything. What does he know? The whole caver. Part of it I wasn't quite sure of until I saw you and Sugar standing side by side. That blue-black hair, the same eyes, plus the fact that the bell on Sugar's apartment on Sloat Boulevard reads Kane, parenthesis, Kavanaugh. 
You took a crazy chance when you knocked off Fred with me right there in the room. The kind of a crazy chance a brother would take to keep his sister clear. I could have told you that. It would have helped a lot, Johnny, but you didn't. When a man lets his sister go on dancing in a joint like yours after he's in the chips and she goes on liking it, you can be sure they're both playing for big stakes and for nobody but themselves. Where do you think you were supposed to wind up, Johnny? I'll tell you. Drinking that poison coffee that Eunice got hold of by mistake. That isn't true, Johnny. I never told Fred a thing. He thought you really loved Eunice. I don't know how he found out you were forcing her into that marriage. Uh, did you also neglect to tell him that he was innocent? That you pulled the trigger in that old killing and, and shoved a gun into his hand when he was too drunk to know what he was doing? I've heard enough. Watch it, Johnny. No! <laughs> My wings just split second before you fired. Your aim went wild. All I saw at first was that it missed Johnny. Then I saw him move forward in her direction. She was leaning against the wall, a puzzled expression on her face, her hand plucking nervously at a spot of red that was spreading against the white of her dress. He caught her as she pitched forward and carried her over to a couch. She didn't speak again. You and Johnny knelt beside her until the cops arrived. If you were aware of each other's presence, neither of you showed it. Period. And a report. That was a sad ending, Sam. Yes, it is. I'm sorry it ended so sadly. Well, it was bound to one way or the other. There wasn't anybody in the whole gallery that thought about anybody but himself. Except poor Fred, I guess, and his his only friends arrived in bottles and left in the ash can. All those millions and millions. Oh, get the money now, Sam. I'm glad you asked that. It leaves me cold. Go type that up while I knit myself a sweater. group of unfortunates. Hmm? As you say, it just had to end badly. If you hope to get back in my good graces by quoting me, to trick me into agreeing with you, you have succeeded. There you go, Sam. So lugubrious. Effie, what is this? What means lugubrious? Oh, Sam, it's wonderful. It's my new habit. Every time I read a book now, Mm -hmm. and you know, like you read a book and there's a word you don't know what it means or you're not sure. Well, I make it a practice now to write down and learn three new words per day. Well. And learn the definitions to use them in conversation. You know, like, uh, desultory. And lugubrious. Yes, that's one of my three for today. Mm. You see? Lugubrious. Right here it is. To talk a great deal. Um, bucolic, state of being sorrowful. And verbose, to be out in the country. I see, I see. Very praiseworthy. <laughs> Enlarging your vocabulary. Yes, love it, I love am. it. But I don't expect to be really lugubrious for... Oh, for the nuts. Uh, look, Effie, why don't you go verbose for the weekend? It's the best cure for the bucolic. Oh, Sam, look what I've done. What have you done? I've clipped the wrong definitions to the right words. Well. For instance, lugubrious. Oh, well, it isn't that at all. Mm-hmm. And bucolic. Oh, Sam, I've learned them wrong. I wasn't going to tell you, Effie. It's better to find out for yourself. It's more uh, efficacious. My new habit. Oh, Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Dove. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dow. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin with score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. 
Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soup and lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Are you baldy? Get Wild Root right away. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Just before we turn things over to an episode of My Favorite Husband, a few bits of trivia about the star of the show, Lucille Ball. She was once actually fired while she was working at an ice cream store because she kept forgetting to put bananas in banana splits. Sounds like one of the series, doesn't it? Uh, at a Barbara Waters interview, Jane Fonda claimed that her father, Henry Fonda, was deeply in love with Lucy and that the two were, quote, very close during the filming of Yours, Mine, and Ours. Hmm. Uh, once registered as a voter for the Communist Party. That was as a favor to her grandfather, Frederick Charles Hunt. She died the morning of April 26 of 1989, the 56th birthday of her very good friend, Carol Burnett. And that afternoon, Burnett received the flowers that Ball had ordered for her birthday. During the filming of Roman Scandals in 1933, Lucy played a slave girl, and she needed to have her eyebrows entirely shaved off. They never grew back. Okay, now on with the show. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. Yes, it's the new Gay Family series starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Brought to you by the Jell-O family of desserts. J-E-L-L-O, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O pudding. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O tap. The Oka pudding jessery. And now, transcribed, Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper, two people who live together and like it. And now, let's look in on the Coopers. It's evening, and in the living room, we find a strange sight. On the floor, completely covering the rug, is a sea of paper, scissors, paste, waste baskets, and snapshots. And in the middle... Like a small island is Liz Cooper with a scrapbook on her lap. Liz, aren't you through working on that scrapbook? I thought we were going to a movie. We are. I'll be ready in a minute. Well, honey, can't you do that later? You know how I hate to come in after the movie has started. So you missed the first three minutes. What's the difference? It's always the same. MGM presents. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be ready in just a second, honey I only have about four more things to paste in our scrapbook Well, hurry up Well, I am hurrying Now, what did I do with that? Oh, you're standing on it, dear Lift your foot What's that? That's a picture of the car we bought last year Let's see 
Oh, this picture must have been taken before you started driving. It's got four <laughs> fenders. Now, George, I couldn't help what happened. All I did was forget to turn and went straight. <laughs> Would have been all right if we weren't on a dead-end street. That was such a beautiful car. I miss it. You know, it's still stuck in that house, Liz. It is? I'll bet they're the only people in town with a new Hudson in the kitchen. <laughs> I'll never forget the day I taught you to drive. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing now, but you weren't laughing then. Yeah, well, I'm more mature now. I aged ten years that day. <laughs> now, I thought I did real well. Remember, you took me out and... Okay, Liz. There isn't much traffic on this back road. I guess you can start driving now. All right. Here I go. I push the starter button down like this. George, the starter button's broken. No, it isn't. Well, why doesn't it start? Push it in long enough and you'll find out. But nothing's ha... Ow! Why did it get hot? Because it's the cigarette lighter. <laughs> what a dirty trick. Now, Dan, don't tell me. Uh, is this it? Try it and see. Okay. Well... It must be broken. That was the radio. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't want to suggest anything radical, but what do you think that little button that says starter is for? Oh, I guess I'm excited. Here we go. <laughs> Hooray, it started. Congratulations. Why aren't we going? Well... <laughs> You forgot a little thing called putting it in gear. Oh, there. No, no, no. Did I do something wrong, George? Throw out the clutch. What's the matter with it? Nothing. <laughs> well, then why should I throw it out? Step on the clutch. Push it in. Well, why didn't you say so? My goodness, you get so excited. I'm not excited. <laughs> now, what's that white stuff around your mouth? Just a little foam. <laughs> now, now you have the clutch out and the motor on. Now shift into low. Now wait a minute. Uh, low is up here, isn't it? No. Oh, I know. Down here. Up here? There's only one place left. <laughs> oh, it's here. There. Now what do I do? Let the clutch out. Okay. <laughs> what happened? George, say something. Wait till I get my head out of the back seat. <laughs> I think my neck is broken. This car doesn't work very well. Start it again. I'll brace myself. All right. Ah, how am I driving, George? Fine, except for one little thing. What's that? You're driving on the wrong side of the road. Well, what's the difference? There aren't any cars coming. Oh! As a favor to me and the insurance company, will you please pull over? Well, I'd be delighted. Well, go ahead. Here comes a car. No, wait. Stay on this side. He's going around. To... <laughs> what a reckless driver. <laughs> Now, he shouldn't have gone up on two wheels like that. Liz, let's, let's come to a stop. Well, why should I stop? I'm doing fine. Now, just let me alone. Uh, 
Look, uh, the motor vehicle department is on this corner, and, and I thought you wanted to get your license today. Oh, I do. Do you think I'm ready? Well, if we wait till you're ready, you'll be too old for a license. Now, <laughs> come to a stop. All right. What do I do? Put your hand out. Signal for a stop. Okay. Now, shift into neutral. Okay. Oh, look out! Wish you almost hit that tree. Why did you take both hands off the wheel? You told me to. <laughs> I did not. You did too. You told me to shift with my right hand and signal with my left, and I didn't have any hands left over to steal. <laughs> what do you think I am, an octopus? <laughs> now, now look, honey. Now just calm down and, and go in there and take your driver's test. Well, do you really think I'll pass it? Sure. You remember everything you did today, don't you? Yes. Well, do just the opposite. All right. <laughs> Good luck, dear. Now, let's see. When you hear a siren, you pull over and let it go by. When you pass a streetcar on the right at 15 miles an hour, I wonder how fast you can pass it on the left. <laughs> yes. Oh, how do you do? Uh, I'd like to get a driver's license, please. All right. Name, please. Elizabeth Cooper. Address? 321 Bundy. Uh-huh. A race? Of course not. I don't even have a driver's license. <laughs> I think this is going to be one of my bad days. <laughs> How much do you weigh? Yes. <laughs> 285. Very amusing. 118. How old are you? 21. 21. You know, I haven't missed on that one in a long time It's funny, there are no women drivers in the United States over 21 May I have my license now? Not yet, I have some more questions to ask you Uh, eyes? Yes, two <laughs> They're blue Thank you And red What? My hair is red, that's the next question, isn't it? Naturally well, just a henna rinse now and then. And now for the fingerprint. Uh, give me your right thumb, please. What for? I want to hitch a ride home and mine is tired. I'm going to take your thumbprint. I don't want to put my thumb in that dirty old ink. Now, this won't hurt a bit. Just no, give me No, I don't right want and we'll to. Put it in the... I don't... <laughs> well, did you get my fingerprint? Yes, right on the end of my nose Congratulations Now may I have my license? No, let's test your eyes Now I'll hold this white card over your eye Tell me what you see A white card <laughs> No, what do you see out of the other eye? Nothing why not? It's closed. <laughs> uh, read those letters on the wall over there. Okay. M E N. Never mind. Go ahead on to the driving part of the test. You're not going to pass that. What makes you so sure? I know the man who's going to give you the test. Who is it? Me! Oh, no!
<laughs> oh, I can't understand it, Liz. If you made that fellow so mad, why did he give you a license? Well, as soon as he saw how I drove, we made sort of a bargain. He said he'd give me my license if I'd let him out of the car. <laughs> I'll make a bargain with you. I'll make a bargain with you. you Let's go that. to the show. Yeah, all right, George. We'll go right... Oh, look what I found. What now? The best thing in the whole scrapbook. What? A recipe for how to fix Jell-O. I heard it on the radio one night and I wrote it down. It made such an impression on me. I can almost hear them doing it right now. J-E-L-L-O. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O puddings. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O tap. And there's a grand and glorious holiday weekend coming up, so here's a grand and glorious Jell-O party dessert that you can make up easily ahead of time called Raspberry Bavarian Pie. Just dissolve one package of raspberry Jell-O in one and a half cups of hot water and add a dash of salt and chill. When slightly thickened, fold in three-fourths cup of cream whipped and turn into a baked pie shell. Chill until firm. As gay and cool and cheerful as vacation. Rich rose-red raspberry jello and whipped cream. Chilled icy cold in a crisp pie shell. All six delicious jello flavors are wonderfully refreshing and fruit-like. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Cause all six are rich with luscious, locked-in goodness. Look for those big red letters on the box. They spell... J-E-L-L-O... And now, back to the Coopers. Two hours ago, Liz and George started to go to a movie, but they were sidetracked by a scrapbook that Liz was pasting things in. Well, right now, George is getting up from the floor and saying for the tenth time... Honey, look at the time. If we're going to the movie, let's get started. All right, dear, I'm coming right... Oh, George, remember that affidavit you made me sign? What are you talking about? Look. I, Liz Cooper, solemnly swear that I will not interrupt any of my husband's stories, even if I've heard them a hundred times. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that now. (laughs) Brother, it certainly didn't last very long. You're still interrupting my stories. Only the ones I've heard more than a hundred (laughs) times. Very funny. (laughs) George, remember the night you made me sign that. You were so mad at me. The Atterbury's were over for dinner, and afterwards we went into the living room, and and you started telling your crimes. Oh, Katie, we've got to do something fast. Make some coffee, serve some food, anything. What's the matter, Mrs. Cooper? Uh, the Atterbury's just made a terrible mistake. Oh, good heavens, what did they do? Well, George told one of his funny stories, and they laughed at it. Oh, dear. Now he'll go on and on telling stories all night. One person snickers, and George thinks his last name is Jessel. <laughs> I'll put the coffee on right away Yeah, and make some nice thick sandwiches He won't be able to talk so much with his mouth full I'll go back in and try to change the sun And the fellow said, no, I don't want that kind of frosting on the top of the wedding cake Take it back and fix it <laughs> Well, anyway, to make a long story short It's too late, Cooper boy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway Oh, George, don't tell that story It's so old Please, Liz uh, well, the fellow came back. Besides, the Atterbury's know that story. They do not. They do, too. Everybody does. Don't you? Well, I... I'm uh... not sure. Oh, you know, the baker... <laughs> the baker is 
just finished a five-layer wedding cake, and he asks the customer where he wants it delivered, and the customer says, no place, I'll eat it here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we hadn't heard it. <laughs> oh, I apologize, George. They haven't heard it. Go ahead and tell it. Thanks a lot. Well, I, I thought they'd heard it. Maybe this will teach you that the stories I tell aren't as old as you think they are, and everybody hasn't heard them. Yes, George. <laughs> oh, if you think that was funny, Mr. Atterbury, did I ever tell you about the time... Katie's fixing sandwiches and coffee for all of us. Oh, that'll be nice, Liz. Splendid, yes. It's like that. Like sandwiches. Rye bread. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> It's a very funny story, really. It, it all started on our honeymoon. Anyone read any good books lately? Have you, Iris? Elizabeth. Ooh, he's mad. <laughs> Just what are you trying to do? Please, George, not that broken-down old story about our honeymoon. Now, I know they've heard that one. Mr. Atterbury, have I told you the story about what happened to Liz and me on our honeymoon? Not tonight. <laughs> Well, Mrs. Atterbury, did I tell you the funny thing that happened to Liz and me on our honeymoon? Yes, you did. Oh. Well, Liz, did I... I was there. <laughs> oh, that's right. George, if you have to tell a story, why don't you tell about last 4th of July? Now, there's one you tell wonderfully. <laughs> it's really a scream. Well, I don't have to tell a story, you know. I'll live without it. Well, all right, George. Maybe we should all play bridge. Bridge would be fine. Yes, I haven't played bridge for a long time. Play bridge. Yes, contract. I prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last Fourth of July was pretty funny at that. As you were, bridge players. Liz? Go ahead, George. It's a very funny story, and I'd like to hear it again. Go ahead. <clears throat> well... The Smiths and the Sturms were going on a picnic with us. Well, we started out that morning about, oh, 10 o'clock, and we it took a long... It was 12 o'clock. It was 10 o'clock. It was 12 o'clock. Well, what's the difference? Two hours. <laughs> I mean to the story. It does make a darn bit of difference. It does, too. That's why we were late, and the... Well, I, I don't want to spoil the story. Go ahead. Anyway, we got to the picnic grounds, and... The cars. Hmm? Don't forget the cars. Oh, that's right. Well, there were three cars. I was first, Howie Stern was in back of me, and Bill Smith was driving the last car. Oh, you're ruining the whole thing. Would you like to tell the story, Liz? No, but I'm just helping you to tell it right. Howie was first, Bill was second, and we were last. Maybe Bill was first, you were second, and Howie was last. <laughs> Rudolph. Well, it is. <laughs> the only combination left. No, Rudolph, there's one more. It might have been Bill first, Howie second. I take it back. We all went in the same bus. <laughs> well, that's the coward's way out. Anyway, we got to the picnic grounds about two o'clock. Don't look at me. I'm not going to say anything more. Good. I'm not going to tell you what you left out. We got to the picnic <laughs> Did you have to say that, Liz? I didn't open my mouth. What did I leave out? Nothing. Go on. Finish your story. <clears throat> well, we spread the food out and it started to rain. It poured. So we all ran for the car and when we got there... Uh... Well, what happened, boy? <laughs> uh... What's the matter, George? 
Oh, you interrupted me so much I forget how it ends. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you're a wonderful story. Oh. <laughs> oh, George, I'll never forget the look on your face. I felt so sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at my pathetic expression now, Liz. I want to go to a move. All right, poor little baby. Well... Oh, look at this, George. What is it? The valentine you gave me this year. Oh, gee, I'd forgotten. Yeah, well, that's a man for you. I remember perfectly. Oh. We were sitting at the breakfast table when you gave it to me. Oh, George, this valentine is beautiful. You know the real reason I like Valentine's Day? Hmm. Because it's such a good excuse to be all mushy and gushy about you. Yeah? <laughs> What's your excuse the other 364 days? You're mushy all the time. Yeah. yeah, but on Valentine's Day, I can be mushy and loud. I love you, George! Liz, keep quiet! I love you, George! <laughs> what about Katie? Katie loves you, too, George! <laughs> what about the lady next door? She... What about the lady next door? She might hear you. Now simmer down. All right, I'll be quiet. I love you, George. Now that's better. Do you love me, George? Yes, I do. Well, I'm glad to hear that, George. Anybody want more coffee? <laughs> no, thank you, Katie. What are we whispering for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just a joke, Katie. We were kidding about Valentine's Day. Kidding? Mm -hmm. Oh, you should never joke about Valentine's Day. Oh, it's a beautiful occasion. Why, Katie, I think you have a boyfriend. <laughs> well, I've written a Valentine poem, and I'm going to give it to... <laughs> <laughs> to whom? I'm going to give it to... <laughs> Is that his first or his last name? <laughs> oh, Mrs. Cooper, it's for Mr. Dabney, the butcher. Oh. Oh, old heavy thumb. <laughs> the butcher, your boyfriend, Katie? Oh, not exactly, but I've always liked him. Well, you could do worse than Mr. Dabney. He's quite attractive and a good butcher. Some people may have better beef, but his liver's good. <laughs> and no one has ox tail and pig's feet like his. What's it cost to see him? <laughs> well, I do have a problem, though, Mrs. Cooper. I haven't got the nerve to give Mr. Dabney the valentine I wrote to him, and he'll be here any minute with his delivery. So would you... <laughs> Give it to him for me. <laughs> Why, sure, Katie. Anything to help out romance. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't watch this. I'm going to the bank. <laughs> Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, darling. Oh, here's the Valentine, Mrs. Cooper. Oh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> what have you got on this, Katie? Well, I wanted to send it with an odor he'd like. But it's all soggy. What'd you do, soak it in perfume? No, bacon grease. <laughs> well, now, that's romantic. That's Mr. Badney. I know his buzz. Well. I'll hide in the dining room until he's gone. Okay. Hi. Oh, hello, Miss Cooper. Well, hello, Mr. Dabney. Come on in. Here's your meat order, Miss Cooper. 
Fresh from Dabney's, the home of Happy Ham Hocks. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Dabney. It's a pleasure. Oh, Mr. Dabney, before you go, I, um, I have something for you. It's a personal matter. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I happen to know that one of your customers thinks you're rather nice. No. Yes. She's been too bashful to tell you, but since this is Valentine's Day, she wants you to know she likes you a lot. You know something, Miss Cooper? What? I like you a lot, too. <laughs> oh, no. Now, wait a minute. I'm not the one. Well, you're still bashful, eh? <laughs> oh, you little minx, you. Oh, just... Now, I'm speaking for someone else. What's that you're hiding behind your back? Oh, how did I get mixed up in this? <laughs> well, here, this will straighten things out. It's a valentine. Oh, Miss Cooper, I feel like such a heel. I ain't got one for you. Oh, now, stop this nonsense. If I'd have only known, I'd have brought you a heart-shaped piece of salami. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Look, just read this valentine. You'll see what I'm trying to tell you. All right. Liz. <laughs> oh, it looks beautiful. <sighs> and how did you know my favorite aroma, Swift's Premier? Read the Valentine. All right. If you'll be mine, then I'll be thine. You set my heart a quiver. Say you'll be my Valentine and bring two pounds of liver. <laughs> a practical thought. Oh, Miss Cooper, this is touching. Did you write this all by your little self? For the last time, no. Look at the signature. Oh, it's signed, Your Bashful Redhead. Oh, no. Katie! Katie, where are you? Oh, don't try to pretend, Liz. No. <laughs> now, you stay on that side of the kitchen table and, and listen to me. Katie wrote this. I didn't. Don't try to fight this thing. It's bigger than both of us. <laughs> now, stop talking like that, Mr. Dabney. What about Katie? She's bigger than both of us, too. <laughs> oh, Miss Cooper, I admired you for years. Each little lamb chop you bought, I personally put the pants on. <laughs> Come here, you bashful redhead. <laughs> to me. Katie has red hair, too. We're both redheads. Katie's the one for you. Listen, two houses may have red roofs, but you don't pick the one with the sagging foundation. <laughs> oh, it was awful. I had to barricade the kitchen door. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> well, Mr. Dabney hasn't. We haven't had a tender steak since I jilted him. <laughs> hey, that scrapbook really brings back a lot of wonderful memories. What else do you have in there? No, no more talk about the scrapbook. We're going to the movie right now. What time is it? Uh, two o'clock. Two o'clock? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, but it was fun reminiscing, wasn't it, George? We'll go to the movie tomorrow night, huh? Yeah. Kiss me. Mm. You talk me. <laughs> Hold me tight, George. Okay. Tighter. 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 
Oh, but Liz! Go on, pretend I'm a sack of walnuts and crack my shells. <laughs> oh, you're crazy, but you're awful cute. <laughs> Honey, you know something. What? You're my favorite husband. Listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, and based on characters created by Isabel Scott Rorick. Tonight's transcribed program was produced and directed Wait by. Wait a minute, Bob. This is the last show until fall, and I want to get into the act and say thanks to our director, Jess Oppenheimer, and Madeline Pugh, and Bob Carroll Jr., who wrote the scripts with him. And thanks to Marlon Skiles for his original music, and Wilbur Hatch, who conducted the orchestra. And Ray Lithgow, our engineer, and Clark Casey for his fine sound effects. And a million thanks to Richard Denning, who just is George Cooper. And Ruth Parrott, who plays the part of Katie, and the Atterberries, Gail Gordon, and B. Benaderet, and Frank Nelson, and Hans Conried, and you, Bob Lamont. <clears throat> and those wonderful Jello people who played the part of the sponsor and are just as nice as the desserts they make. We'll all be back on the 2nd of September. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you. Be sure to see Lucille Ball and Bob Hope in that wonderful Paramount picture, Sorrowful Jones. It's playing at your favorite theater now. My Favorite Husband will be back at the same time starting September 2nd. See you then. Bob Lamont speaking. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nick Carter, Master Detective, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.